Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe. I'm Ross Geiger, the host of the show, and this is episode 12. Fresh off the podcast IL and back on the mic here tonight is co-host Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media. And I'm also pleased to be joined by my other co-host, co-host World B, Michael Freer. Gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Pretty good. Could be better. Yeah, I bet you could be. <laughs> we'll explain be. in a moment. <laughs> Monday night in the association, everything is, uh, everything is great. Lovely. Glad to hear that. Bruce, let's get started with you here tonight on your opening tip. Well, there's some news in the league today, and it's pretty significant. Uh, the Lakers have traded uh, for uh, Rui Hachimura from the Washington Wizards. They gave Washington Kendrick Nunn and three second-round picks. Rui is 24-year-old guy, fourth season, number nine overall pick in 2019 from Gonzaga, averaging 13 and a little over four this season in about 24 minutes. Uh, he's a good-sized wing defender at 6'8". He's a capable three-point shooter on – especially on catch and shoots. And I think this is a significant move for the Lakers. Uh, what do you guys think? I think this is a tremendous move for LA. I think they really kind of got bailed out even finding the deal uh, at, w- with a guy in a talent like Rui Hachimura. I don't think Rui has been able to really showcase mm-hmm. everything that he's been capable of doing in Washington. As you mentioned, Bruce, he is 24 years old. He was the ninth overall pick just a few years ago. And I mean, just even two games ago, he had 30 points in an NBA game. He's going to bring tremendous length defensively and an instant upgrade at that small forward position. I think being around LeBron James and Anthony Davis is is only going to help him uh, in his niche role with the Lakers. And I think he's going to be a huge piece uh, for them moving forward. You know, for whatever reason, it just wasn't working out in uh, Washington. I don't know why he's a steady offensive guy uh, in limited minutes. Uh, like you say, yeah, coming off a 30-point game. If you're the Lakers, you're, are you getting the guy who just scored 30 points and had a season high with 22 field goals? By the way, could you put a guy on display any more than the Wizards did with uh, with him, Put get, let him know this is what you can get if you want to trade for him? Or is he the guy got a goose egg in 17 minutes the game before against New York? I mean, you know, He's going to be, he can only help the Lakers. I mean, I don't see how he could possibly hurt them given for what they gave up second round picks and, you know, none who wasn't really working out, uh, just hasn't worked out in the league, really. Uh, so this can only help the Lakers. Yeah. And here's what I'll say about, uh, the Lakers giving them a lot of credit. I mean, if we've seen one thing from this team this season, They've allowed a lot of guys to gain a lot of confidence, putting them in positions to to kind of go out there and find their way. I mean, we're looking at Dennis Schroeder playing much better basketball as of late. I think he had 26 points uh, in their in their last win the other night. Uh, you, you look at uh, Lonnie Walker coming over from the Spurs. He was in a position to to really be a little bit more aggressive offensively. And then you look down low, a guy coming off a tre- tremendous game and Thomas Bryant. That guy slid right into the starting lineup and, you know, he's getting an opportunity to really showcase his ability as he was a guy that was out for a year or so. And now they've got another guy off the bench, Wenyan Gabriel. He's showing a lot of uh, energy and putting up some big numbers too. So honestly, I think this is a great situation for both parties, not just the Lakers to acquire some legitimate talent, but also for Rui to really get a chance to, to go out there and showcase what he can do 
much like the other Lakers that I just mentioned. The fact that he's going to be playing on the same team with LeBron James, LeBron <laughs> always makes his teammates better. And Rui's averaging 13, all right? When he starts playing with LeBron, if he gets significant minutes, I think you could easily see him going, you know, 16, 17 points a game on a consistent basis. And this isn't just a, you know, he's suddenly a 13-point-a-night guy. He's a double-figure guy his whole career. If you look at his numbers, he's averaged double digits every season. Now, th this might be his career high, but he has been a double-digit scorer since he came in the league. So he has that potential to have big nights for them and be a quality guy off the bench. And, you know, if you're the Lakers, you, any depth is, you know, the more depth you have, the better. No kidding there. I definitely agree um, with that assessment. There will be. Uh, what do you have for your opening take, Mike? Uh, my opening take, I'm uh, going to give a shout-out down here to Jonathan Isaac, who took the court tonight uh, against the Celtics. First time in over 900 days because of knee injuries they had been able to play in an NBA game. He hadn't played since August of 2020 in the bubble where he hurt himself. The former number six overall pick, he was putting up really good numbers. He had improved his game. This is only his uh, fourth season now, really. His first three seasons, he's improved his scoring, rebounding, assists, shooting, blocks. Everything was pointing up, and he looked like a guy who was going to be a significant part of their future, and it got derailed, and he battled back. He really worked hard, missed two seasons. He's only 25 years old, and he's you know first came back uh, Monday against the Celtics. He's in double digits in very limited time. So he's been impressive, and he's another piece to a young Magic team. We talked about off-air. They have a lot of young, talented pieces on this roster. It may not show in the standings by the end of the season because they're too far back, I think, to make a run at the playing game. Uh, but going forward, this offseason, looking ahead, that's a team that you're going to see. If you like the Thunder this year, you're going to like the Magic next year. Well, there's a nice little preview there on the Magic. I couldn't agree more. I think Jeff Weltman and John Hammond have certainly a lot to kind of work out internally as far as their roster is concerned, but it's a good problem to have when you have a lot a lot of young pieces, especially in Orlando. It's a, it's a, they, they may not know what to do with a problem like this. Yeah. Well, for my opening tip, I really wanted to focus on a current and former Laker appear primed to return soon. And that is starting with the current Laker and Anthony Davis, according to Laker head coach, Darvin Ham, AD played with a, with their quote unquote, stay ready group at practice and looked phenomenal and some practice play. And, uh, you know, Woj recently reported that AD has his sights now set on a return at the end of January. So a cornerstone for the Lakers uh, could certainly be returning soon, increasing their chances. And um, definitely looking forward to seeing if AD can get back out on the court. And now he'll be paired up, you know, defensively with Rui, just some huge length for Los Angeles. And uh, that should be exciting to see. And then on the flip side, a former Laker in Brandon Ingram down with the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, on Saturday, Pelicans head coach Willie Green confirmed that Brandon Ingram participated in five-on-five -five play. And uh, he that's a huge development for this guy because he's been out with a toe injury and he has been seriously lagging and making any type of progress, at least that we have heard of. Um, so this is a really encouraging sign for New Orleans. Uh, Ingram's been out two months, and we've re we've really received little to no information 
uh, in regards to that. So hopefully this five on five play is a great sign for the Pelicans and their fans. And certainly will give the Pelicans a little bit more depth when it comes to competing come playoff time. They need them too. Hey, and listen, um, with Anthony Davis coming back, and as we mentioned, you know, adding Rui to the team, Russell Westbrook has played some decent ball for those guys this year. I mean, now all of a sudden, you know, you have three starters and a guy coming off the bench in Russ. Um, I don't know that I really want to play that team in the playoffs. I mean, the way LeBron's going, I mean, that's a team that uh, will still, uh, you know, be pretty scary uh, if they're healthy when they reach April. Yeah, playoff LeBron is nothing I would want to mess with either. And if they're able to keep AD healthy, uh, look out for the Lakers come playoff time. Well, let's get right into our first quarter. Um, we're going to be talking about the Celtics here. They currently have a nine-game winning streak on the line here tonight, playing down in Orlando and being tested uh, as we are taping the podcast here tonight. But um, they've got a nice little uh, test tomorrow night as well, Tuesday night in Miami. And Bruce, we'll start with you. What have you been thinking of uh, the Celtics here recently on this current win streak? Well, they flunked their test on Monday night. Uh, they were beaten by Orlando, so that oh, ended the nine-game winning streak, unfortunately. Yeah, it was it was still going on when we got started, but yes, it's over. They lost. Um, Orlando is their kryptonite, apparently. They've lost three out of four to them this year. But the Celtics, nice. you know, they played a little bit shorthanded tonight. No Marcus Smart, no Robert Williams. Uh, and, you know, they have enough of a little cushion at this point in the East. You know, they were like four or five games up on the next team. So uh, not the end of the world. They had been playing unbelievable ball for, say, uh, the last three weeks. Um, since they gave up 150 points to Oklahoma City on October on, on January 3rd, which shocked everybody who watches basketball, uh, they won nine straight, including six straight on the road prior to Monday night. Uh, they're at Miami on Tuesday night, a game that I will be attending and will, uh, nice. you know, hopefully see a little bit better version of the Celtics than we saw on Monday. But uh, I think, you know, with Boston, look, you can't win them all. And their depth has been huge. It didn't really show up big for them uh, on Monday night. But uh, I think the team's still in pretty good shape. Uh, I wish I was talking about a 10-game winning streak, you know, but I'm not. Yeah, I mean yeah. – just looking at the box score here tonight, as you mentioned, Bruce, this game is over. Uh, what really sticks out to me as a sore thumb is Peyton Pritchard. Uh, he had a tremendous game uh, at home against the Toronto Raptors in a tight, uh, tightly contested game. And I thought tonight would be a huge opportunity for him to, to really show out against a younger Magic team. And tonight he struggled, played 30 minutes, only had five points, two of six shooting, and uh, only collected four assists. So I was a little surprised by that. But World B, go ahead. Oh, I was going to uh, point out, you know, the thing about the Celtics of late has been their defense has been really impressive. Uh, during this nine-game, and now concluded nine-game win streak, you know, they had the best defense in the league, allowing 107.8 points per 100 possessions. And it had gotten to – they had moved themselves up to the point where they are now – because we knew their offense was great. Their offense has been great most of the season. They, they slumped alone in December, but it's been really dominating most of the season. And now they're the only team, or they came into Monday as the only team in the league, top five in offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. A little disclaimer because the Sixers defensively are just, just outside the top five. They're really 
you know, really minuscule outside. But the Celtics had gotten a point to the point where they're a top five defense, and that's what you are used to seeing from them. So, and they they had a the last two games they just completely dominated the fourth quarter defensively against the Warriors and the Raptors. They allowed just thirty six points on fifty possessions combined in the fourth quarter. That's a ridiculous efficiency. Didn't work out that way tonight. They got outscored in the fourth quarter. But the only flaw right now for the Celtics, of all things, is really their three-point shooting on the above-the-break area. From the corners, they're pretty good. But from the above-the-break area of late, since the beginning of December, it's like thirty less than 33%. They're in the bottom five there. For a team that likes to shoot the threes like they do, that's got to clean itself up. They had a decent night tonight from three, but I don't know the breakdown between corner and above the break area. But that's the only real thing that I can see uh, in health, but that's the only issue they have at the moment. Well, I mean, look, the, the game against Orlando, really, um, you know, they were burned by a, like Cole Anthony. Cole Anthony came into the game in the first half off the bench and just absolutely torched those guys. He actually blocked a shot by Luke Cornett, then ran the break, he ended up finishing with an alley-oop at the other end, Cole Anthony, all 6-3 of him, okay? So they just jumped out on Boston uh, on Monday night. And again, I'm certainly not going to make any excuses. You know, if you're Boston, your depth has been huge all year. But, you know, they didn't have Malcolm Brogdon tonight, 14 points off the bench. They didn't have uh, uh, Marcus Smart. So those are two of their top three guards that didn't play, Derek White, just had a very you know mediocre game, eleven points, um, and as you mentioned, Pritchard struggled tonight. So look, I mean, I think if you're Boston, you just kind of say, "All right, you know, we, uh, you know, we missed an opportunity there, but fortunately for them, they they have a little bit of a cushion over the teams behind them, and uh, I don't think they're going to lose a ton of sleep over this one, even if no, I do. <laughs> and I, I, well, I agree. It wasn't. And the, th- the other thing is, not in necessarily in defense of the Celtics or anything, but they were in an atmosphere that doesn't happen very often. A guy like Jonathan Isaac that we just mentioned that coming back, and he's a big, that was a big deal in Orlando for tonight. That was, you know, they got Sandy Noe when he came in the game. Everybody who followed the Magic knew it. So it was a little more juice in the building, probably on the, on the bench for the Magic tonight. So that was an unusual circumstance for the Celtics who were shorthanded to be playing in too. So I can, you know, there is uh, some validity to, you know, the fact that this wasn't, you know, this was an off night, but it's not the end of the world for, for a team like Boston. Yeah, and let's give some credit to head coach Jamal Mosley of the Orlando Magic. He really has these guys, you know, going up against the biggest tests and, and really coming out and competing. I, I think, you know, we mentioned before the show here, the Orlando, this Orlando Magic team has challenged some of the best teams in the league all season long. Not just, you know, their record against Boston this year, but against some of their more, you know, tougher opponents. This team has really come out ready to face the challenge. And it, it seems like this young group really awaits those opportunities to see, hey, let's let's go toe-to-toe with one of the best in the league. And they seem to be having a lot of fun with it. And now they're they're seeing some success with it. Yeah, with, with a young with a young team, you're gonna have you're going to have flops like they had against the Wizards the other night. And that's what's going to happen. You have young teams. You're going to have off nights. But for for the most part, somebody who's watched them for a lot of the season, the effort's been there from the young guys. And 
Mosley, they seem to be responding to him. So, you know, that's what you want when you're a young team and you have a coach like that. That's what you want as a coach, a guy to respond to your words. And, you know, tonight uh, or Monday night, they had a really good night shooting the ball too. I mean, 51% from the floor, four, almost 41% on threes, limited their turnovers, only 10. Uh, won the turnover, you know, game by eight, Boston at 18, okay? So, look, I mean, they won by 15, and that's really – kind of exactly <laughs> what, what yeah. the numbers tell you they should have probably won by. So uh, big ups to Orlando. World be freer. Kudos to you and your boys. Nice job by Jonathan Isaac. And uh, we move on. Yeah. And looking into our second quarter here, uh, let's dig a little bit deeper into the Eastern Conference. And uh, the team that I'm thinking about here is the Philadelphia 76ers. They continue to roll despite a West Coast road trip. Uh, that could have been a challenge for them, but they succeeded in that. And um, World B, we'll start with you. What what did you see from Philly from that that trip out west? She's five five and zero oh on the trip. They just <laughs> they've been, they, you know they they I saw a team that can beat you any way you yeah you know, they can play any way and beat you the way you you want them to play defense. They can hold you under a point per possession. You want them to go up against a team like the Kings without. Indeed, and and company, and we can beat you that way too. And They're Harden a team too. that's definitely rolling. Um, you know, this team was twelve and twelve back on December fifth, and now they've gone eighteen and four since then. Second best record in the league behind Denver. And you know, Bruce mentioned it a couple of episodes ago. We don't really get into divisions and all this stuff, but you know, the Atlantic division is freaking loaded all of a sudden <laughs> between the Celtics, between the 76ers and the Nets, even without KD, there's a, we'll get to them in a minute, but I mean, that's a loaded division. Three of the five best records in the league are teams in the Atlantic, but I mean, they, they are since that run, you know, during their run 18 and four run, on December 6th. They're number three in offensive efficiency. They're number six in defensive efficiency. It's going to be really hard to lose games when you're in the top five or six in those categories. And then Deed and Harden in January, on the court together, they're average. They're scoring 125.2 points per 100 possessions. That's a ridiculously high efficiency number offensively. So you got guys who your two best players, are. you're clicking when they're on the court. You're playing a great defense like you figure with Doc Rivers at some point you're going to. Things are really clicking right now. You're coming off a West Coast trip. It's really uh, impressive right now. You know, you would think if, you know, maybe casual observers that don't dive into the numbers perhaps the way some of us do, you would think, wow, Philly's 30 and 16. They must have been a really healthy team. Click. No, they haven't been a really healthy team. James Harden has missed 16 out of their 46 games. That's more than a third of their games. Joel Embiid has missed 12 games. That's almost a fourth of their games. They've gotten a real pick-me-up from some of their role players. Uh, you know, very quietly, Tobias Harris, who's a guy that I've always liked because mainly, I mean, he's one of the best human beings in the entire NBA. He's just a great dude. Uh, 16 and 6, he started 42 games. So out of the 46, he started all but four. He's been there. Tyrese Maxey has missed a bunch of games, but he's he's averaging over 21 a game, uh, shooting almost 39% on threes and, you know, almost 46% from the floor overall. And again, I, one guy that I've seen kind of show up big at various times is Georges Niang. I mean, this guy is, is 
playing 19, just under 20 minutes a game. He's averaging 9.3 points and he's shooting 42% on threes. So these are the kind of guys that, that kind of help you along. And again, PJ Tucker has not really done much numbers wise, but he's, he started 44 games. He's a veteran guy. He gives them a little bit of toughness, a little bit of an edge, which is why they got him and which he's given every team he's ever played on. So I would say that, you know, uh, if, if, you know, Philly is definitely trending up. I mean, they've overcome a lot of obstacles and and they're right there. And that win against Sacramento to put them at 5 and 0 on that road trip, they didn't have Embiid or Harden in that game yeah. and they still won. So, you know, big ups to the Sixers. Yeah, and Bruce, you mentioned that toughness with uh PJ Tucker. Another guy that's kind of been a blessing in disguise is Montrez Harrell. Harrell was a guy this offseason got in some off the court trouble, which I think affected his free agency they were able to get him on it on a cheaper uh deal and uh he has stepped up nicely when Embiid's been out uh, of course I was watching that uh Sacramento Philly game uh Sacramento was on a second night of a back-to-back but what Montrez Harrell did in handling Sabonis all game long was was quite impressive and just throughout the year his added toughness and energy much like PJ Tucker's has been huge um down low for this team in Philadelphia. And then, you know, Tyrese Maxey's back into the lineup. He's back healthy. And uh, with Harden now exiting due to injury or at least a night off with some rest, you know, Tyrese Maxey always able to turn up the notch one more uh, and, and become a star for that team with the ball in his hands. I've been really impressed with the development of Tyrese Maxey this year. And Bruce mentioned uh, the, the health factor when it comes to the Sixers. And Harden and Embiid have only been on the court for a little over half of their games, 24 games. So they, their two best players, two of the you know arguably 15 best players in the league, have only been together on the court for 24 games. Now they're 16 and 8 in those games, but you really want, you know, this is how they're doing it without those guys around for almost half the games. It's really a testament to the rest of the roster and the, and the staff and everybody that they're in the spot they're in right now. Absolutely. And another team in the, the East that certainly deserves some uh, touching upon is uh, the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving. Seems like this team is heating back up. And uh, Bruce, we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, what are your thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets as of now? And they are also out West. Well, you know, we our big concern when Kevin Durant went out was, is Kyrie Irving going to be able to shoulder the load and, and carry this team forward? They had been playing some of the best ball of any team in the entire league. Um, and, you know, they they lost four straight after KD went down on January 8th, but they've won their last two behind some really big performances from Kyrie Irving. I mean, they beat the Warriors on Sunday night. Kyrie had 38, uh, outdueled Stephen Curry. Uh, and they beat the Jazz on Friday with Kyrie scoring 48. Uh, game prior to that, uh, they had lost, I believe it was to Phoenix, and Kyrie had a big night that night too with 30 points. So he's starting to warm up a little bit, and uh, again, he's going to have to keep it up. Uh, but their next four games, you know, they you know won't necessarily be uh, gimmies. Uh, but yes, and there's some other guys that we can talk about on the Nets that have played well, but uh, but Kyrie has really kind of shown up the you know the last few nights. You know, you go back to what Bruce was talking about, that Phoenix game. That was a real – they were 0-3 at that point, and the Suns were blowing them out. 
and the fourth quarter of that game is when things really turned around for this team because Kyrie got hot. He scored, I believe, 21 points in that fourth quarter, and he lost, but they made a nice comeback, and they had a chance to to uh, steal that game, and they couldn't do it. But that was the beginning of this, whatever you want to call it, turnaround. And Kyrie, we gave him, before this thing started, we asked, or we were asked, you know, our thoughts, well, you, you know, how do you think they're going to do? And I was one of those that said, you know, do I really want to put all my eggs in the Kyrie Irving basket? And I said, no, whatever. And, you know, so far, you know, of late, he's really, uh, as Bruce said, really stepped up. The last three fourth quarters, 21, 21, and 12 points, seven of 11 from three points, you know, from three point range is really impressive for him. And overall, in his last three games, 39, almost 39 a game, eight boards, seven assists. He's 50% from three point range. He's carrying the team the way we expect him to, or wanted to see him carry at the beginning of this, you know, uh, run without KD. And the other thing I'll, I'll bring up is, they have the matchup coming up on Wednesday against the Sixers. That will be – I was looking it up. That will be a 15th game in a 20-game uh, stretch on the road. Wow. So it will be over a 20-game stretch. That will be their 15th road game. So they're going to get some home games coming up, and let's see how they do after that. So it's a real difficult stretch, even when KD was healthy. And it will be really interesting – Again, the net loaded Atlantic. Let's see how much room they can make because they're a top five record right now. Even with uh, this little run they had, zero and four, beginning, they're starting to they're playing better again. And as Bruce said, there's a lot of pieces in there, but it all comes down to Cade, uh, Kyrie, and he's doing the job right now. Yeah, you know, they've they've shown that they can you know play well on the road. They're sixteen and ten on the road, which is the second best road record in the NBA. And again. They've had some really nice performances from role players. I mean, Royce O'Neal had a huge three-pointer to win the game on on Sunday. He's he's only averaging like nine, five, and four assists. But again, he makes winning plays. I mean, he's just a guy. He's like a dog out there. You know, he gives you a little bit of everything. Uh, T.J. Warren, Russ Geiger's third favorite player, I think, third most favorite player in the league. Again, nice production off the bench. You know, almost ten points in just under twenty minutes, and. He's only played 22 games. The team is 16 and six in the games he played. That tells you something about what a guy like TJ Warren's bringing. And again, Ben Simmons is still kind of a head case. He still hasn't attempted a three point field goal yet. Uh, and his free throw percentage is now down under 44%, which the three of us could probably do better than that. Um, but look, you know, uh, along those guys, along with Nick Claxton, you know, I mean, Brooklyn is, they got a nice, team there they got a nice thing going Ross yeah I mean I'm glad you mentioned him Nick Claxton's certainly been a guy I've had my eye on maybe even talking about him later on in this show um, but the last three games let's just take a look at that you you want to talk about a young man stepping up for this Brooklyn Nets team he had 24 points in their last game against Golden State 20 points against Utah and 20 points in Phoenix um, 15 rebounds five rebounds and uh, 11 rebounds. So he's active on the boards and uh, he's right now leading the NBA in, in shot blocks of guys that qualify. I mean, he's really stepped up his production in Katie's absence. And, you know, we're talking about a guy that really kind of struggled with foul trouble heading into this year. That was kind of the biggest knock on him is the fact that he wasn't big, strong enough and was foul prone. And 
seems to have figured that out. I mean, in the last three games alone, he's played 35 plus minutes. So, you know, his usage is up. They're using him offensively a lot more, at least getting him the basketball and easy areas to get buckets. And uh, he's big, been a big part of their success as well. Their next four games will be kind of interesting too. Uh, Wednesday, they're at Philadelphia. Thursday, they're home against the Pistons. Saturday, they're home against the Knickerbockers. And Monday, they're home against the Lakers. So you could easily see them going three and one in those four games, you know, at, at two and two at the worst, I would think. So, uh, yeah, you know, good, you know, good job, you know, staying afloat uh, in Brooklyn. And uh, with that, we've gone ahead and reached the halftime buzzer. So we'll take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back here on the 48 Minutes podcast by Believe, getting ready for our third quarter. And I want to change our focus to some Western Conference teams. Uh, currently, we have the Thunder rising out in the West. And um, World B, we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, what have you seen from this Oklahoma City Thunder team as of late? Well, they're, they, they've done it with defense all year. I mean, they're a, they're a top 10 team in defense. And since... Uh, you know, at one point they were, you know, they're 12 and six in their last 18 games. They have the same record as Memphis, by the way, over those 18 games, the team that we, uh, I'm sure Russell mentioned at some point, uh, it's his favorite team there with or at least a one favorite player. Uh, Russ has like six favorite teams. I know. Yeah. Well, I, that was half mocking too, by the way, <laughs> people that follow, uh, follow us understand that. But, uh, you know, during, the, during that stretch, during this stretch where they're 12 and six, They've beaten Memphis. They've beaten Boston. They, you know, we mentioned earlier, they blew them out. They've beaten Dallas. They've beaten Philly. They've beaten Brooklyn. They've beaten Denver the other night. I mean, these are big teams that they're beating all of a sudden. And they really – they have a good combination going with SGA and, and Josh Giddy um, over this stretch. They're scoring about 119 points for 100 possessions when those two are on the court. That's a re- – really impressive uh, efficiency on offense. So, you know, they're, uh, they're really impressive on defense and they're getting it together with the right combination on offense. So, and in the standings, you know, tied for 10th, they're currently outside the play in picture, but they're tied for 10th. But they're just a game back. They're just a game back of six where the Clippers are crazy. And they're just a game and a half back of fifth. So it's just, you know, one of the two good games and things can flip up. That's how close they are right now. And I think the next step for them would really be to get above 500. They've been really closing in on that. They haven't been five, over 500 since I think they were four and three this year. And so that's you know, obviously a long time back in October. And that would be a real uh, momentum thing for them to be a winning team, have a winning record in, in that conference where it's, it's so loaded. And so I think that's the next step for them. And they, you know, obviously they're beating teams. They have the talent to do it. The game on Sunday against Denver was a 101-99 win at Denver. And again, Nikola Jokic didn't play. Okay. So, you know, you gotta factor that in. But, you know, look, I mean, they they still got to win on the road. And, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander has just been remarkable for them. And if you go back and like to look at tape of like games and stuff. If you go back and look at the shot 
that was the game-winning shot in that game, okay? He had this great ball fake where he got – Aaron Gordon was running at him for that shot. Aaron's a much bigger guy. He gave him a great little ball fake, got Gordon off his feet, and then just dropped it in. Beautiful <laughs> little shot. Um, you know, crafty, crafty. I don't know why more guys can't do a ball fake and a head fake. They'd get guys off their feet and get a lot more open shots. It's sort of a lost art. But, uh, Michael, you talked about Josh Giddy. okay? This guy, man, his upside is crazy. I mean, he's 20 years old, right? He's he's averaging 16, 8, and 5.8 assists. I mean, he's a 6'8 guard, a solid rebounder. He's a great driver. He's a slasher. He's a passer. He's a rebounder. But he's not a shooter, at least no. not yet. And that's something that he really needs to work on. He's only shooting under 33% on threes. His career three-point percentage is under 30%. So this guy's that's something he can work on. I mean, but I mean, he seems to be able to get where he wants to get on the court. And, uh, and he's just really, really an impressive 20 year old player. I totally agree there, Bruce. And you mentioned the rebounding for Josh Gideon. What really stands out about that is the fact that this guy can really handle the ball and push the pace. So he's grabbing rebounds and just getting out and going. And, and it really plays to the benefit of this young thunder team. I mean, I, I give, give a lot of credit to their head coach and Mark Dagnalt um, for the type of play this team is playing offensively. Uh, I mean, if you look around the league and been able to watch all 30 teams, I think the two teams that have most impressed me with their, their team basketball, regardless of, of skill or big names, has been the Utah Jazz and the Oklahoma City Thunder. They just play the right way. And, you know, down the stretch for the Thunder, they have the luxury of having a guy like SGA, as you mentioned, and he's just a cold-blooded killer and, and stay, keeps us calm. He's calm, cool, collected with, with, the, with the game on the line. He, he loves that opportunity and relishes that moment. And we saw it again last night. So Oklahoma City has been, been fun to watch. And much like the Magic in the East, boy, are they scary uh, for, for years to come as far as uh, all the talent they have and the draft picks to come as well. So uh, keep a lookout for those Thunder. Another team I wanted to talk to, you guys about in the Western Conference is the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Phoenix Suns have put together a couple wins here and uh, got some big returns to their lineup in Chris Paul and Cam Johnson as of their last game. And uh, Bruce, what, what do you think about the Suns? Do you think they're going to bounce back now? Well, prior to the season, I had them coming out of the West. It doesn't really look like that's still in the cards for them. Uh, I would say Denver and Memphis should be the favorites. And again, I'm not discounting the Lakers when, you know, we'll see how Hachimura fits in. And of course, if Davis can come back and stay healthy, but uh, you know, Chris Paul returned on Sunday against Memphis, got, got the win against those guys. They had a two and 12 stretch, but now they've won three straight. They're back up to 500, number seven in the West. Uh, as I said, CP three had 22, six and 11 in 38 minutes uh, on Sunday. Um, Deandre Ayton has sort of been, Numbers-wise, it seems like he's been okay, but I want to see that guy block some shots. I mean, you know, yeah. he's supposed to be a defensive presence. He averages less than a block shot a game, and, and for a seven-foot-one guy, I don't think that's really an acceptable number. I think he's got to do a little bit better. But but Devin Booker, who really is their best all-around guy, hasn't played since Christmas. They're 5-11 and 11 without him. And I haven't really seen a whole lot of news on when he's expected to return, but obviously when that happens – I would expect Phoenix to start climbing the, the ladder again out West. 
you know, you, you mentioned among the guys who are back as well as Cam Johnson, who came back last week. Uh, that's a big deal for them. But he, without Booker, yeah, they won the three in a row, but their offense is still, um, we'll just say it's struggling. <laughs> just, that'll be the nice way to put it you know, for this nice broadcast. But, they're, yeah, they're averaging less than 110 points for 100 possessions during this three-game win streak. So it's not like – they're all the way back now. You know, beating Memphis is a is a nice win, and and beating the uh, Brooklyn Nets minus uh, KD is still a nice win. And if you're Phoenix, you take whatever you get at this point. But until they get Booker back, I'm not gonna. I'll have to take a wait and see attitude on them because they just don't have the offense. Now maybe Chris Paul can direct things and make it better. Whatever, it just it hasn't happened yet. So, but you know. Maybe it's not fair to say uh, one game. One game. I, I, yeah. I, I, uh, I totally get that. But I'll just take a wait and see attitude on exactly how much further to back. Because without you know, that lineup, they weren't just losing games during that two and twelve. They were getting blown out. I mean, they were just getting embarrassed. So you look at the box score every night. Like, what is going on with this team? And it really boils down to they need to get some offense going and. As Bruce said, when they get Devin Booker back, their world gets a lot easier. But will it be enough? Will they be too far gone? Yeah. You know, one. Go ahead, Russ. But I was no, going to say, what gonna... <laughs> you go. All right. You. Uh, <laughs> what really stood out to me, and, you know, Will B, you talk about the dire need for offense. And I think they recognize that. You know, Chris Paul returned on, yeah, Sunday night against the, the Memphis Grizzlies. And I thought, you know, maybe this guy would play – 20, 25 minutes and kind of ease him back into on-court play. No, Chris Paul played 38 minutes in that game, conducting that offense, trying to get things going uh, on the offensive side of the ball, helping them get get some more, more scoring opportunities. And he was able to do just that. Mikel Bridges had 24. Even Torrey Craig chipped in 20. Um, but, you know, how sustainable is that? I mean, I, I'm a little concerned, to be honest, that, you know, Chris Paul played 38 minutes in his return course they're going to ask a lot out of the guy but i mean just with his injury track record as of recently i'm a, I'm a little scared if they think they can play him even 35 plus minutes a night bruce yeah no and i was just going to say you mentioned mikhail bridges he has been their their stalwart player this year he shows up every night okay he started all 48 games for him uh playing 36 minutes plus per night but he's a younger guy so he can play more minutes um but, you know, 16, four and a half, three and a half, four and a half rebounds, three and a half blocks, you know, gritty sort of a competitive player. So it's going to fall a little bit on him as well, which it has. But when, when Booker comes back, as Michael said, I mean, everything everything changes for them. But uh, they, they are going to have a little bit of a, a scheduling challenge when the calendar turns over to February. I mean, we're still a week away from that, and they have a couple home games before. But they're going to play five road games in eight days between February 3rd and 10th. So we're going to really see, you know, you kind of hope Booker's back by then because if he's not, they're going to have, I would assume, some pretty tough sledding in, in that uh, eight-day stretch. But, um, you know, I mean – it it all kind of it all kind of hinges on book, hey, you know. Come on back, Devin. And I'll say this too: it probably wasn't fair necessarily to get on the Suns and their offense uh, Sunday night when they're playing one of the best defensive teams in the league in Memphis. But they did come away 
with the victory because of their defense. These last three games during the win streak has been their best defensive effort for a three-game stretch all season. They're they're giving up just over 105 points per 100 possessions. So it is possible they can keep it going with some great defense, and they have pieces in place to do that. But you really the way the league is right now, where you got to score, it's built for offense. Until they get a good offensive rhythm going, it's this three-game win streak is not going to last into a nine-game, say, like the Celtics did. If it did, <laughs> you know, we'll add it to the list of jinxes that I uh, <laughs> that I am on this show with the teams and players. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye out on on that. But I know for the time being, Suns fans have a little optimistic hope here that uh, their season can go ahead and be turned around. And uh, Chris Paul coming back, Cam Johnson coming back, gives them a glimmer of hope. And uh, we wish the best for Devin Booker. But that leads us right into our fourth quarter here. And it's time for a little mail. And uh, we did ask our listeners uh, for some questions so go ahead and continue to submit those in i'll be putting out a post uh, asking and encouraging you guys to ask us some questions and uh, our first question here tonight comes from todd via linkedin and he specifically is asking bruce here uh, knowing that bruce is a longtime celtics fan he'd love to hear how bruce feels about jason tatum and jalen brown and how they stack up against the greats from the celtics 1980 nba championship teams with larry bird Robert Parrish, DJ, Bill Walton, and um, Bruce, I'll let you take it from here. Okay, so Tatum and Brown have something in common with Bird and McHale in that both were acquired via trades that were absolute steals by Danny Ainge getting Tatum and Brown, who basically were Brooklyn picks in the Paul Pierce, uh, Jason Terry, Kevin Garnett trade, which, you know, Boston just like that was one of the heists of the century. Uh, Bird, as you remember, or maybe don't remember, was drafted a year early by Red Auerbach. So he played his senior year at Indiana State, having been drafted by Boston. Again, savvy move. And McHale came over and probably the biggest heist of a trade ever by Red Auerbach. Uh, Boston had the number one pick in 1980. Uh, they traded that number one pick to the Golden State Warriors for... Robert Parrish, future Hall of Famer. Kevin McHale, future Hall of Famer. That pick turned out to be. Who was it, Michael? The pick? Oh, Joe Barry Carroll. Excuse me. Or as you nicknamed him. Well, I didn't nickname him. I just took it from the great Peter Vesey. Joe Barely Cares. It was one of the the all-time. One-sided deals, yes. Yes, yes, it was. So, look, here's the deal. Tatum came into the league at 19. He's in his sixth NBA season at age 24. Brown is in his seventh NBA season at age 26. Bird was a rookie when he was 23. McHale was a rookie when he was 23. So if you want to look at career numbers at the age of, say, 24 or 26, Tatum and Brown compare more than favorably to those guys because they've played six years in the league versus one or two. But... Bird, by the end of his fifth season, now Tatum has played five-plus, Brown has played six-plus. Bird, by the end of his fifth season, had two NBA championships and won the first of his three straight MVPs in season five. His rebound and assist numbers are way higher than either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. McHale was also 23 as a rookie, 
By the end of his sixth season, he had three NBA championships. He was the sixth man for his first five years. He was a seven-time All-Star, one of the greatest low-post scorers ever, a great defensive player. So based on age, I would say Tatum and Brown are ahead of Bird and McHale for individual numbers, but championships have got to follow soon for those guys for them to be considered in the same class as Bird and McHale. Todd, thank you for putting that question up. Yeah, I want to thank Todd for participating in our mailbag. Uh, our next question comes from Max, and Max asks a great question here. What's OG Ananobi's real ceiling? Are there too many people getting ahead of themselves on who he can really be? And uh, I thought about this one a lot, Max. Great question. Thanks for the submission. And um, for one, evaluating any young player on the Toronto Raptors has been a, a bit difficult just because of how stacked they are. I mean, they, they're they still trying to figure out how to even work all together on the same team. And I think that's been one of their big struggles this year. Um, but I would have to agree. It seems like you're leaning towards people getting a little bit ahead of themselves on OG Ananobi. At this point in time, I don't see OG being a guy that could go to like a developing team like Charlotte and, and be a really productive go-to player. You know, I, I'd more look at OG Ananobi as being on like the, higher end of like a DeAndre Hunter, uh, maybe a uh, Al Farouk Aminu on steroids. Like I, I see more of a defensive lengthy guy. Um, I, I just don't know if he can be your primary scorer. So that's kind of my take on OG. Do you guys have any thoughts? I, I, I'm still just very cautious on, you know, calling him a rising star. Uh, well, he's a guy I would tend to agree with you, but to give him – some props. He has improved his scoring every season in the league. Now this year is just about the same as last year. So maybe this is his ceiling, you know, 17 points a game. His rebounding is about the same. So it's entirely possible. We're seeing him at his peak. He's a decent three point shooter. I wouldn't say he's elite by any stretch, but he's decent. Uh, yeah. I don't know if he's going to, if he went to another team, if it, that would be his breakout moment. I don't see that necessarily from him, but he is a he's proven to be over the last couple of seasons a steady, consistent scorer, but still under 20 a game. Yeah, I mean he's he's just kind of there on a team that's kind of generic at this point. Uh I would be willing to bet that if Toronto could upgrade at that position by making a trade and using him in, in a trade, I think they would probably give that consideration. So there you have it, Max. want to thank you for the question on tonight's episode. And uh, again, encourage everyone to go ahead and submit some fun questions for us to answer on the show. That leads us right into our best bets discussion. And tonight, fellas, I want to focus in on shot block candidates for same game parlays or props. And my favorite guy at the moment, we mentioned him earlier, Nick Claxton. Uh, you can go ahead and jot him down for at least two blocks a game. Clax has swatted three or more blocks in 11 straight games. And, of course, you know, being the quality 6'11 former Georgia Bulldog that he is, um, he is leading the league in blocks at this time. So really like him at two blocks a game. Secondly is Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez, I like him for about just one block a game to, to stay on the safe side. He's currently second in the league in block shots at two and a half stuffings per night. But I'm only going as far as saying one. Uh, because, you know, despite having that two and a half block average, 
you know, he likes to gather a lot of his blocks and bunches. So there are games where he does have off nights. So you need to trend carefully there with him. Um, and then lastly, we've mentioned him on the show. That's Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr. I'm saving uh, one of the best for last year. You can easily put him in for two blocks a game with that Grizzlies defense. In the 30 games he's played, he's averaging 3.3 blocks a game. So two is very safe in that regard. And, you know, he's still yet to play enough games to actually qualify for the league leaderboard. He would be in first place if uh, he did qualify today. And, uh, you know, having him down for two is just a very safe play. So for your next parlay or prop bet, consider those three shot blocking names. And that is tonight's best bet section. By the way, more more blocks than fouls for Jaron Jackson Jr. That's pretty good. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And that's something I don't think we could have said in in, in seasons prior. I mean, he's no, been another he, he is big not, man. No, absolutely correct. He has not been that player. One of the big deals has been that he's cut down on his fouling. Yep. Lopez had a nice game on Monday night as the Bucks hung 150 on Detroit. Uh, he had two blocks and he had 21 points. So, uh, you know, Brooke is – Still one of the elite rim protectors in the NBA. That is for sure. He has been a tremendous key to that Bucks success this year. Well, that leads us right into our final thoughts. Um, Bruce, do you want to tee us up here with your final thought of the night? Yeah, I mean, we all sort of saw what happened on Friday night when Shannon Sharp kind of got into it with some of the Memphis Grizzlies. He and Dylan Brooks were jawing at each other. He got into it a little bit with John Moran. He got into a little bit with John Moran's father, T. Morant. They sort of kissed and made up uh, around halftime or whatever, but it was not a pretty display. But I'm going to uh, I'm going to uh, turn this into a positive because today on on Shannon's uh, show on FS1, uh, I forget the name of it. Undisputed. You know, he's not with. Yeah, okay. I never watch it except I did today because I wanted to see if he was going to say anything, which he did. He did a really heartfelt apology where he made it very clear he was wrong in how he conducted himself. He didn't want to be seen that way. He wanted to make it very clear that what you saw the other night was sort of an emotional thing. Uh, and uh, I just want to give a lot of credit to Shannon Sharp for owning it. I've always been big on owning your mistakes. Don't make excuses. If you messed up, own it. And Shannon Sharp owned it today. So Shannon Sharp, uh, you get a big plus one from me for your apology uh, today. World B? Yeah, I'm going to give my final thought. Uh, I've uh, criticized this team more than once this season, the Clippers. We all have uh, about things going south. We talked about just a couple weeks ago how it looked like the Lakers are trending up and the Clippers are trending down, whatever. But it may not be the case, and the reason why is Kawhi Leonard is starting to get healthy, and we're starting to see Kawhi Leonard the way we are used to seeing him. And the reason you can tell he's getting healthier, his three-point shooting is dramatically improved since January 8th. He's hitting over 50% on threes. He's driving the ball more than than normal, almost 15 drives to the basket a game since January 8th, before the 8th. He was only averaging about nine per game. He's getting to the free throw line more than he uh, used to, seven a game. It was 3.9 before January 8th. So all the, not to mention 30 points a night, that helps you look better too, get healthy. So the Clippers season may not be over just yet like we thought or I thought uh, because he is getting healthier and he is going to, I would expect him to play a lot more and, 
they can only help the Clippers. And in that West, it's really bunched up. It doesn't take much for to all of a sudden get a home court advantage for a round. And if you get Kawhi Leonard and Paul George both healthy, I I don't know if that's a team I want to meet come playoff time. And you mentioned, you know, Kawhi's shots. You know, he's shooting it well behind the arc, and he's also putting the ball on the floor more. I watched last night's or yesterday afternoon's game against Dallas in Dallas, a game that the Clippers won. And what really stood out to me, it really seems like Kawhi's getting his feet underneath him now. I, yeah. I think that was something he struggled on early in the year, trying to just get back uh, to game shape and to game play. And uh, just the way he's moving seems a lot more fluid and, and, and on that shot and even putting the ball on the floor. His feet are under him now, and that's that's very scary sight for opposing defenses because, as we know, he is an extremely great player in this league when healthy. Absolutely. In his last in his last seven games, he's averaging twenty nine point seven points. So his production is he's averaging like twenty for the season, but in these last seven games, it's, it's almost thirty. So uh, World B's points are all like spot on as usual. <laughs> And my final thought of the night here is the end of game running out the clock turnover. This is more of a rant here, but I'm sure all you NBA basketball junkies have seen it. When the game is out of reach in the final seconds, you'll commonly see an NBA veteran pass the ball off to a rookie or less tenured player uh, to go ahead and hold the ball as the shot clock expires. Now, why do they do that? It's because to this day, the player that's holding that ball as the shot clock expires actually does receive a turnover on the stat sheet. And for a player that's demonstrating good sportsmanship, can't we just get rid of this? I mean, I'm sick and tired of that actually counting as a turnover. I mean, literally doing what they should be doing, proper, proper sports etiquette. And, and the fact that they're being punished for that, I just don't see a reason for that. And to kind of strengthen my point here, we do have a category for team rebounds, so why can't we just why can't that just go down as a team turnover? You guys have any thoughts on that, real quick? I think it's a great idea, but you know what I'd like to see one time when a veteran goes to hand the ball off to a rookie or a young player, <laughs> just have the young player go to like yeah. let, let the ball like fall to the floor. And it's <laughs> like, oh no, you're not pinning that on me. I think his rookie duties would. Uh, you know, be stepped up a level. He might have to get donuts for the next month for the team and uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe get some coffees for road trips. So I, I would tread carefully on trying out Bruce's strategy, but that and, would be fun to see. And then <laughs> he'd probably have to wear a Dora the Explorer backpack on top of yeah. all of that. Yeah. So that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back for you on Friday. But in the meantime, be sure to download and subscribe to the podcast and uh, we hope everybody stays safe and takes care.